Thank you for joining the Home Church Podcast. For more information, visit us at myhomechurch.org. I want you to turn with me in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. We're going to look at a, a, a number of different scriptures within these, uh, within about three chapters, 12, 13, and 14. Believe it or not, we're actually, I was thinking about it, we've been speaking on the Holy Spirit um, going back into um, April. We started teaching on the Holy Spirit, the forgotten God. And so I hope that um, through this, these last few months that you have learned a lot about the Holy Spirit and have come into a deeper appreciation of who He is. Uh, he's not an it, He's a person that lives in you as when you were born again. But especially these last few weeks, we've not just discussed the Holy Spirit in general, but the gifts of the Holy Spirit, the manifestation gifts. And uh, believe it or not, this is the last one that we're speaking on. So next week, we'll jump into something else. And as if we haven't stirred enough in speaking on the gifts of the Holy Spirit and touched on enough things that are quite controversial, I thought it would be only fitting that when we close out today, that we should have a nice, easy discussion on the gift of tongues (laughs) and the interpretation of tongues and that we'd understand actually how this gifting works. I realize many of you probably have questions. There's many different thoughts that circle around this. And I hope to, honestly, I hope to break that today and get you to see a, a bigger purpose of it and how this gift actually moves. It's bigger than actually just what takes place in the public setting. And we're going to teach across that. And my heart today is actually to demystify one of the most controversial gifts out there. And I want you to see how God actually uses this and what its purpose is for and how it can be used both in a public setting and in a private devotional setting and how it can deeply edify and encourage the body and both yourself. So let me, let me be clear on this. I, I, I want to tell you to lean in today if you have questions regarding this specific gifting. Because I, I came in, just to be quite honest with you and vulnerable, I came into this week knowing this is where we we're going to conclude, and I had even hesitation myself. I just allowed all these fleshly thoughts to get in the way to almost want to say, let's just skip it. And I, I, it's just, we, we don't understand properly what this gifting is. And so if you find yourself in that place, I completely understand. Before I, had, before I, I witnessed uh, this gift of tongues being operated in people that I deeply loved. And then before I had my own personal experience, I can tell you right now that I came against it fiercely. (laughs) I opposed it. I inwardly mocked it. I thought it was a joke. And then the Lord has taken me on a journey to see how absolutely beautiful this really is. And so if you find yourself in that place today, that's okay. I'm going to ask you to just open your heart to see how this gifting works and how God uses it both in the public and the private setting. And so we're going to look at, again, the gift of tongues. You guys follow me? I want to just share a few things. We're going to go heavy on teaching. I'm going to share some testimonies that are crazy, incredible of how this, this gifting works. And so we're going to go through a number of things. But I really just want to, I want to till the ground. I want to stir some faith and attack some things right off the bat before we get more technical. And I want to share this to, to, to address something because this is, this is the issue I had. There's a story in the Bible regarding a man by the name of Nicodemus and Jesus. John chapter 3, right? Some of you guys are aware of this story. Nicodemus is a religious leader who actually, it appears in all accounts, had genuine faith in Jesus. But because of his position, he couldn't operate or at least express that publicly. So one night, he came and basically snuck out to meet with Jesus And when he comes to meet with Jesus, paraphrasing, but essentially says, Rabbi, teacher, I know you come from God because I see the things that you do. He had a very logical response. He says, clearly you're from God because no one could perform the signs that you perform. Clearly God is with you. And Jesus essentially tells Nicodemus, Nicodemus, unless you're born again, you can't see the kingdom of God. This wrecked him. He said, what do you mean? Do I re-enter into my mother's womb? What does that mean to be born again? And Jesus said, no, you've been born of the flesh. Now you need to be born of the spirit. Why do I share that? Because Nicodemus came to Jesus purely on logic, reason, and intellect. Now let me be clear. 
by no means does the Christian faith deny these things at all. Logic, reason, intellect are very important. But if this is all we use and come with to Christ, we will find ourselves getting deeply frustrated because many of the things of God are deeply spiritual. And the scriptures say that to the natural mind, the things of the spirit are foolish. What actually has to happen, this is across the board in in all of the kingdom principles, right? You hear Jesus wants to rescue. He can save you. How? He died for you and you have to die as well. Naturally, when you hear that, this sounds foolish at first. This doesn't even make sense. And typically what has to happen is you have to humble yourself, take a step of faith, and when you then experience this, you find understanding. I'm sharing that with you because when it comes to the gift of tongues, it's often our intellect, our reasoning, and our logic that gets in the way of being able to take a step of faith and trust in what God is doing. But if we would just humble ourselves to see what's in his word and step out, when we actually allow ourselves to experience this, greater understanding will then follow. Are you with me? Now, there's typically two extremes that we can move into when it comes to the gift of tongues. And I want to hit this real fast because even though I clearly believe and walk in this, um, I realize that one of the extremes, there's two extremes we can go to. One of the extremes is it has become... In some circles, this absolute mark of spiritual maturity. Like if you can speak in tongues, if you can pray in tongues, if you, if you have a, a prayer language, that somehow you have been elevated above everyone else. That turns a lot of people off. Now let me be clear, when we look in the scriptures, in the book of Acts especially, the gift of tongues, a prayer language, is deeply connected with being filled with the Spirit. We don't see it every single time, but it's pretty clear that that happens a lot. And so there is something that takes place that's profound that leads into a a different type of walk. But listen, the primary sign of being filled and empowered with the Holy Spirit is not just so you can have a prayer language. It's so that you can actually walk in empowerment. This is what it looks like to be filled with the Spirit. So we need to be careful that we don't put an unhealthy obsession over something. What we need to really be asking is, does my life demonstrate power? Am I walking in holy, holiness and righteousness? These are even greater signs of walking in the Spirit and being powered by the Spirit. But the other side is what I want to just hit on and real quick before we jump in. And that is the other extreme is there is a fierce opposition that comes against this gift. And at best, they will say that you are just deeply emotional and you operate in an emotional frenzy. But what it's crept into even now today is that if anyone even speaks in this, it's probably that you're rooted in something deeply dark. Perhaps even you're flowing in something demonic. And unfortunately, when we look at this, we see throughout church history, this has been from the beginning. Even the initial outpouring of the Holy Spirit was met with great resistance. They mocked these men who literally would just encounter the Holy Spirit in a fresh way. It's nothing new. It still happens to this day. Do you know many, many churches, they forbid speaking in tongues. Do you know that Paul said in 1 Corinthians 14, 39, do not forbid speaking in tongues? He literally said that, yet we forbid it. Do you know that I, there are so many, I was going through church history, so many different leaders and pastors that were a part of mainline denominations that hadn't experienced this type of phenomenon when their pastors did. Their pastors have to remain in secrecy. Because if anyone would find out that they have this gifting, they'd be absolutely banned from the church. Pastor Crystal and I have met people on Long Island, pastors on Long Island, that literally are in mainline denominations that they cannot confess that they have a private prayer language with the Lord because they would be removed from their position. There is a deep opposition that I don't want to get into all the depths of it, but one of the primary reasons is Because of a portion of scripture in 1 Corinthians 13, 8 through 12, that basically says prophecy, tongues, but also knowledge will pass away when the perfect comes. And they say that the perfect is when the scriptures came into completion. But for more reasons I want to get into, the perfect is when Christ returns. That's why Paul said in 1 Corinthians 1, 7, that you have every spiritual gift to keep you going until Christ is revealed. Until he comes back. 
You see, I want to just share this because you're going to face opposition when you open yourself up to this, and it comes from within the church, that the first thing that's said is, if you are open to the gifts of the Holy Spirit, if you believe that God can move in powerful ways, then that means you have absolutely zero regard for preserving the purity of Scripture. And I can tell you right now that that's foolishness. I love the Holy Spirit. I'm open to God being a living God. And I treat the scriptures with absolute care. But let me take this even a step further to say what the other side is really implying. And this is not to tear anyone down, but you don't see what's really happening. Is that that idea that when the scriptures come, the Holy Spirit has faded away. We don't need him like we used to. Let me ask you this. What is the Holy Trinity? Or who is the Holy Trinity? Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Now, let me be very clear on something. I love the Word of God. The Word of God is true and eternal, and it will endure every test that comes against it. It is God's perfect revelation of himself. We should devour it, eat it. We should spend time consuming the Word. But know this, the Trinity is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, not Father, Son, and Holy Bible. And what that teaching says is that in the year 393, when the scriptures were canonized, it replaced the Holy Spirit, and he's died away now. He no longer speaks, moves, acts. He's dead. We don't need him anymore because we have the scriptures. Now, hear my heart on this. You don't misunderstand this. The scriptures, we, we read these things diligently. It's God's perfect word. But they don't replace the Holy Spirit. They just testify to who he is. God is alive today. It, 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 it's amaz it amazes me of how there is this move within the church that is desiring to somehow prove that God is now no longer a living God. He doesn't speak today. He doesn't move today. He's just like every other false God. Do you know that this is how God separated himself from every other false God in the Bible? Is that he proved that he was living he speaks, he hears, he acts. He moves with power to reveal himself to let him know that he is alive. So my friends, know this, the gifts are alive and well. And I want to share one other thing with you that's really important. I want you to see the bigger picture of, of tongues and the power of language. The gift of tongues in the New Testament is a new and peculiar sign that testifies to the age of the outpouring of the Spirit. But there is something that took place in the Old Testament that is deeply connected to Pentecost. And what it is, is it's Babel, the Tower of Babel. Are you guys familiar with the Tower of Babel? I want you to hear this so you can see the bigger picture of what is really happening at Pentecost and what tongues is really actually pointing us to. In the Tower of Babel, which is Genesis 11, it's after the, the flood of Noah and right before the calling of the patriarchs. It says that mankind came together operating in one language. And when they came together, they sought to build a tower. They aspired for the heavenlies. But their aspirations were rooted in glorifying self. So what did God do? He actually just... Just giving you cliff notes, he actually said, we need to come down and cause confusion and disperse them so that they don't destroy themselves. And how did he cause this confusion? Is he actually gave different languages. I want you to hear this for a second. That means that actually the diversity of languages according to the scriptures is actually rooted in disobedience. It actually was birthed from something that was sinful. And I want you to see the power of grace because Jesus says that in the end, around his throne, every tribe, every nation, every tongue will be worshiping and glorifying God in the deepest of praises. In fact, it won't just be earthly creatures. There will be heavenly creatures. There will be both earthly tongues and heavenly tongues. And the point is this, is that what started in sin when Jesus' grace touched it, he's actually producing a more beautiful picture. For rather than one language, just Hebrew worshiping God, now every language, every tongue, and every tribe will be glorifying God. 
So when the gift of tongues begins to operate, both in the natural earthly languages and heavenly languages, it is actually a picture of the glorious worship that will come for all of eternity. Can you see it? Every nation, every tribe gathering together, the angelical creatures worshiping God, in every way giving him praise. That's the bigger picture. We're seeing even the redemption over language. God's grace is touching it. So here's a quick overview of tongues, and then we're going we're gonna to just teach on a few key things here. In general, I'm going to, although we've been talking about the public giftings, we need to teach on all the different facets of this gifting so we understand it. In the most general sense, there's two types of tongues. There's public and private. There's ministry tongues, and then there is devotional or prayer language tongues. On the public side, the ministry side, to keep it very simple, it's essentially God communicating to man. On the private side, the devotional side, it's essentially man communicating to God. Now, actually, how we're going to teach this is that within the public and the private, there's even two types in each one. The Bible actually shows four types of tongues that we can be operating and walking in. Here's, Here's the definition for you. The gift of tongues is speech inspired by the Holy Spirit in a language the speaker does not understand. It's that simple. When you speak in tongues, you're essentially speaking in a language that you yourself don't understand. Now, here's what the Bible teaches. You can actually speak in an earthly language or a heavenly language. Now, an earthly language means that you're actually speaking in another foreign language you've never studied before. I'm going to share some testimonies with you that are amazing. The Bible also says that you can speak in heavenly languages. Now, I realize for some that, that again, that offends the natural mind at first. But the reality is, is that the scriptures talk about it. Revelation 19.12 says that Jesus has a name that no one else knows. There's heavenly languages. 1 Corinthians 13.1, if you could put it on the screen, Christy. Listen to what Paul said. He says, if I speak in tongues of men or of angels. If I speak in tongues of men or of angels. He's speaking, there's earthly language and there's heavenly language. Now, as we unpack these four types of of tongues, the essential purpose of all of them is this. They're one, they're an extension of the gospel. They edify the body and oneself. They release glorious praise because the scriptures say in 1 Corinthians 14, 2, when you speak in tongues, you actually declare mysteries of God. And so we're declaring these incredible praises and mysteries of God And tongues is deeply connected to prayer and intercessory for other people. So I want you to look at 1 Corinthians 14, 22, and we'll start right here. You can turn there in the Bible. have it on the screen as well. And as I said, I really want to teach. So I'm going to give you a number of scriptures because I want you to see this very clearly. Let me me back up for a moment. We're looking at a lot of scriptures from 1 Corinthians 12 to 14. This letter was written, the letter to the church at Corinth was, was written in 54 AD when Paul was in the city of Ephesus. And I think this is important to note, that Paul essentially writes this letter in response to a number of issues that are taking place at the church at Corinth. One of them being there was issues in their public worship setting. And so chapters 12 through 14 is when Paul is addressing this public worship. But what's interesting is that when he addresses it, And for those that are familiar with this this portion of scripture, do you ever see Paul speak in a way of confusion, surprise? Is he perplexed at what's taking place in this body? In other words, he never once says, guys, what is happening? People are speaking in different languages and tongues. What, What is even going on there? He never once says that, which implies that this was not something new. This is something that was very common in the early church life. And so here's what 1 Corinthians 4, 14, 22 says. Tongues, then, are a sign not for believers, but for unbelievers. So I'm going to hit you with the two public real quick. One of the ways that tongues is used in the public is that it's actually a sign for unbelievers. Now, you probably never hear that because we usually shy away from it not to offend an unbeliever. But Paul says it actually testifies. How? Because... 
This is an earthly language that other people can recognize and they realize God is speaking to them. This is the essence of Acts chapter 2. When the Spirit of God was poured out and these men and women were gathered together and they began to speak in other languages, earthly languages, they, they testified to God, they described his wonderful works, and other men around were amazed because they said, I hear them declaring the glory of God in my language. It was a sign to them that God was moving. This is one of the ways it's used in the ministry. My first experience with this, I'll share a personal testimony, was amazing. I was, when I was still in Teen Challenge, uh, we used to work an event called the U.S. Open, which is uh, for tennis. It was three weeks long, and it was a, yeah, <laughs> kind of fun, kind of crazy. <laughs> And it was a really hard time. For three weeks, the whole center would shut down, and we'd go and we'd work this event. And it was a way to raise funds. And uh, it, was, it was good in that we got out of the, the routine of the, of the normal program life. But it was pretty grueling. And what would happen is when you had a day off, our campus pastor would gather in the chapel before lunch and would pray for everyone that was working at the event. Follow me? And so one, one afternoon when they were praying, um, there was one particular man who was really going through it. You see, the, the event was so challenging that if you were within your first 30 days, you weren't even allowed to work it because you'd be exposed to so much spiritually, physically. It was just too much. So he's staying back, and it's just been a hard time because there's nothing going on in the program. His, his wife and his kids, it's all at stake. He's just trying to figure out, is God even real? And he's deeply struggling, and all he really says is, I think I'm going to leave. And so at the end of this prayer time, they put him in the middle chair, and, uh, and we're all kind of sitting around in a circle. And Don Wilkerson's daughter was there. And she said, I'll, I'll pray for him. And she goes, and he's Brazilian. So he speaks English, but it's broken English. She goes up to him, and she lays his hands on him. And she begins to pray in English, and we're all, we're all you know, agreeing with her. And then she yields to the Spirit, right? You don't lose control. It's, it's a choice. She yields to the Spirit, and she surrenders, steps out in faith, and begins to transition into speaking in tongues. And so this was pretty common there, so we didn't think much of it. It was a powerful time of prayer. When she says, Amen. The man who was sitting there had tears rolling down his eyes. And we're just thinking, oh, I don't know. I guess he was really touched. And he looks with amazement and looks at her and says, you know Portuguese? <laughs> and we were all like, what the heck is going on right now? And, and the lady goes, no. And he said, you just spoke perfect Portuguese. And you just told me everything that I was facing, every challenge I was going through. All my fears about my kids. And you, and you were confirming that God says, I'm aware of all of it, and I'm moving. You can trust me. That is a sign to someone that God has acted. Do you see how beautiful tongues can be? Yeah. Remember we said, God, there was confusion because of, because of language. The, we all know this. Language barriers cause, a, cause a, a major issue in communication. Tongues actually allow us to break those barriers so that we can share the gospel with every tribe and every tongue now. Does that make sense? So let me share another testimony with you. I got a few. Is that all right? I'm going to share more on this one. They're so good. Um, the Zuzu Street Revival, 1906, where there was a great outpouring of the Holy Spirit that really birthed many of the more charismatic churches that we see today. And it wasn't anything new. It was just a rededication to the original message, and therefore they had the original experience. They began to speak in tongues, and they began to see God move with power. Of course, they were fiercely opposed. They would burn their houses and burn their gatherings. It was crazy, all because they spoke in tongues. But one of the things that happened is when they would gather here, it went on for years. They'd have three services, morning, noon, and night. The place was packed out. People couldn't even get in because of what was happening. And upstairs was what was called the upper room. And that was where people would be praying around the clock, um, together, worshiping, praying in the spirit, whatever it may be. And then what would happen is, is around, again, if it was morning, lunch, or dinner, when the service came, they'd ring this bell, and everyone would come downstairs, and chapel service would begin. And so one time they're upstairs. This is a true story. He's reading this letter from this man. And he said that he was upstairs, and this man walked up there, and this young woman who was already up there praying, she was a teenage girl. Her name was Kathleen. The moment this man came, she felt the Spirit of God lead her. Again, she had to surrender to that leading. She could have just dismissed it. But she stood up, pointed at him, and began to speak in tongues. 
And so the man's just kind of like shocked. What's going on here? Towards the end of the message, the bell rings for service, so everyone goes. But the man's standing there. As this woman Kathleen is leaving, he grabs her arm, goes downstairs, and they go into the assembly. He takes her right up front to, to the pulpit right here. And he waits for everyone to be silent. And then he says this. You ready? So good. He says, I am a Jew, and I came to this city to investigate this speaking in tongues. No person in this city knows my first or my last name, as I am here under an assumed name. No one in this city knows my occupation or anything about me. I go to hear preachers for the purpose of taking their sermons apart and using them in lecturing against the Christian religion. This girl, as I entered the room, started speaking in the Hebrew language. She told me my first and last name. And she told me why I was in the city and what my occupation was in life. And then she called upon me to repent in Jesus Christ. She told me the things about my life which it would be impossible for any person in this city to know. Then he dropped on his knees and they said it was like he was going to die. He wept for Jesus to forgive him. Man, it's incredible how God uses this. You want another one? <laughs> this, is the, this is the best one. Well, they're all made. I shouldn't say that. But this one so stirred my heart. 1922, I was going through some missionary books. 1922 in Africa. Oh, this is crazy. There is a family named uh, the Garlocks from New Jersey. Any people from New Jersey here? Caesar. Caesar. I just feel this is right here, right here. No. They're, from, they're from New Jersey, and they feel a call from God to go into a small tribe known as the Pond Tribe in Liberia in Africa. 1922. This was an extremely dangerous mission. Do you know why? Because the pond tribe are cannibals. And so no one would dare to enter in there. But the Garlocks decide this is what God is calling them to do, so they move forward. When they get to Liberia, they link up with local African Christians who will kind of help them navigate this terrain. Well, shortly after they arrived, Mr. Garlock's wife came down with malaria. They thought she was going to die. So he got some of the locals who were with him and said, look, if you take the long route to get more meds, she'll never survive. He said, we've got to cut through close around by the pond tribe if we're going to get in time before she dies. They agreed to it. He stays with his wife, but a band of locals go. What's amazing is that as soon as they left, a few hours later, all of her symptoms, they were relieved. God was so in control of all of this. So they leave. They come back a few hours later. Only one comes back out of the three. He's panting. He's in panic. And he says, Mr. Garlock, we went to the pond tribe, but they found us, and they captured two of our men. And they said they're going to eat them unless someone comes to rescue them. This is, this is true story, Christian missionaries. This is what goes on around the world. So he felt guilty for what was happening because he sent them out. So he says, well, then I'll go. And he goes with a few of the other men, and they get around the pond tribe, which is just a wooden fence. And he peers in. And when he looks in, he can see one hut that has two guards. They're standing tall with, with spears. He says they have long, uh, like, pigtails, and their, their teeth, he says, he remembers their teeth were filed down as razor sharp, and they're standing outside the gate. And so he tells the other men that are with him, he says, look, I'm going to go in there. I'm going to try to rescue these men. If anything goes bad, just start making a lot of noise and try to cause a distraction. They say, okay, we got it. He says, I have two things going for me. Number one, they've probably never seen a white man before, and number two, I know the God of the Bible. He's the God of miracles. I believe he's going to come through. So he says he just walks into this tribe. The two guards are so amazed that this guy's walking with his chest up that he actually walks right through into the tent. He feels around. This is, this is, this is an actual letter. He feels around inside and sees a pole, feels a pole with two men tied. He unties them. The only problem is at this point he hears so much uh, um, uh, movement outside. So when he comes outside, the entire tribe of men, of warriors, are standing outside and yelling at him. The only thing he knows to do is he says there's an elephant skull that he sits down on and begins just to pray to the Lord. And what happened was is all these men began to yell, and he could see that there was one who must have been their leader, and the other one next to him who, from what only he could understand, was probably the witch doctor. And he said the witch doctor came up to him and began to, for one hour straight, speak and scream and do all these things. And what he realized after a little while is that he was being put on trial. 
And so he let this person speak for about an hour. And then at the very end, the witch doctor uh, kind of got in his face, like bucked at him, and everyone cheered. And then he put the stick down and sat down. And he realized it was his time to speak. And if he couldn't give a reason as to what was going on, that he would lose his life, and so would these men. And so he stands up with the stick in his hand, and the only thing that he can remember is from the scriptures in Mark 13, I believe it's verse 11, where God said that you will be put on trial before people. But when you are on trial and you open your mouth, don't worry, the Holy Spirit will speak through you. Is God alive today or not? Is that just something restricted for past days? He's alive and active today. So he stands up and he begins to open his mouth. And what comes out? Not English. (laughs) He speaks their native tongue. And for 20 minutes, the men listen to him as he speaks. At the end, he drops the stick and sits down. The witch doctor leaves, gets a chicken, comes in front of him, breaks the chicken's neck, and they all walk away. And apparently the chicken took his place. And they were able to leave for whatever he said. And a few years later, most of that tribe came to faith in Jesus Christ. Crazy. That's, that's the public gifting of tongues as a sign. I just wanted to share this. There's, there's so many more. I know I spent a little more time on that, but I want, you to, I want you to see how that works. The other way that tongues is used in the public setting is tongues that are in need of an, an interpretation. That's what happens in this particular setting. A lot of times when we're at worship, you may um, hear where where all of us get pretty quiet and someone speaks in tongues and then someone has to interpret. You see, the sign is an earthly language, so it must be translated. But this particular tongue is a heavenly language and it can only be interpreted. Does that make sense? So there has to be an interpretation with this as God speaks to us. Actually, the rest of the types of tongues are predominantly heavenly languages rather than the earthly language. Um, To give you an illustration of how this may work in just a very silly way, but if you can imagine this, um, this is probably more for the men. Have you ever been with a young child? It could even be your own child. I've had this happen. As they're learning to speak, they're passionate. They know what they want, but they're just speaking baby talk. And you are so frustrated because you're saying, what exactly do you want? And you're picking up everything around, and they're getting frustrated, and they're telling you what they want, but you can't understand it. And then guess what happens? After 30 minutes... The mother just happens to be walking by, passes by, hears this baby talking, says, oh, he wants a bag of chips. <laughs> and you're like, what? How did, how did you get that? Well, in that case, the baby has the gift of tongues, and the mother would have the gift of interpretation. You see, when it happens in here, when someone speaks, for us, we'll say, this doesn't make much sense. But for someone, then God will give an interpretation. And when that happens, actually, it becomes a form of prophecy. So it's extremely powerful. Paul says without the interpretation, no one's edified. But when someone does, it actually is just as powerful as the prophetic. And we shared that a few weeks ago of how important that is. So some of you may be asking, isn't this just, couldn't we just say gibberish though? I mean, is this really, is there anything concrete to this? So I, I've been there. I said, this is, this is probably just gibberish. And look, I, I don't, I'm sure there may be some people who force things or in good faith are trying to step out and miss it. I'm not saying that doesn't happen. But I, I'm, I'm focusing on the, on the authentic and the real right now. And uh, I want to share this. If you're stirred by this, I would encourage you to read a book called They Speak With Other Tongues by John Sherrill. It has a lot of incredible um, teachings in it. And essentially, it was actually a book I had to read in Teen Challenge. The whole purpose of it was really this guy who was so skeptical. One, he was deeply dry in his walk. And so he felt like he was missing something. And two... He was seeing a connection with being filled with the Spirit, but he was so skeptical to the speaking in tongues. He said, what is this? And so what happened was it led him on this journey of actually doing an extensive study to find out, is this real? And how, do you know, how many of you know that some of those who are the, most, the greatest skeptics, they turn into like powerhouses because they now know without a shadow of a doubt that it's real. And so he does all of this research. And while he's at work, his coworkers discover what he's talking about, what he's, what he's looking into. And so they said, hey, John, is this speaking in tongues? And they make a bunch of clicks and noises, and everyone laughs and claps and says, great job. And, and he realized in that moment that um, he had a dilemma because the truth is he knew something was different, but he didn't know how to articulate it. And he said, is it really just a matter of the, only the Spirit can bear witness? And so here's what he does. Is he actually, for the next few weeks, 
while he's at different church services and small group meetings and one-on-one times, as the gift of tongues is moving, he records it. So he records all these, all these examples of people speaking in tongues. And then he goes to six language specialists. True story. And he brings these recordings. And he says, if this is true, I want to know, can you guys tell me, are these real languages? And so he's sitting with these six men. He puts on the recordings. And they begin to go one, one after another. And he says, these men are listening intently. They're writing down. This is what they do for a living. They're studying. And finally, after about an hour, it comes to an end. And he says, well, what do you guys think? Are these languages? Can you, can you understand them? And they said, no, we have no idea what these people are speaking. And so he got upset, but then he said, but, but, language is not just about what you hear verbally. They said, you can tell when someone speaks language because there are certain sentence structures. There's the shape of language. There's the way syllables and things move together. And so what they said is, we don't understand this language, but based on our testing of language, there is no doubt that this is a genuine language that is being spoken. In fact, one of them, who was so well-versed in poetry, said there's one of these recordings that I can tell is a hymn of love. I have no idea what's being said, but I can tell by the way it flows, it is absolutely beautiful. What's so amazing is that on those recordings, he purposely had his wife and his son record nothing but noise and gibberish just to see if they could see any difference. And sure enough, one of their findings were that two of these, they said, is nothing but noise. It's just people making noise. There's no flow of language there. This is something deeply more than just gibberish. There's heavenly languages which God speaks to and through us. And so this particular gifting, when there's interpretation, is used in the public setting. We must have an interpretation for it if we're actually going to receive the edification from it. In fact, Paul says that when this gift flows, we should have someone, the person who gives it, should also earnestly pray to interpret it. It's not always that person, but Paul says that's, that's important because if no one else has it, the person who speaks it should at least ask for it because we need the interpretation for it. You see, that's, that's the key. One of Paul's biggest issues with the church at Corinth was not the gift of tongues itself. It was the lack of interpretation, and they couldn't understand the mysteries of God that were being spoken. And as a result, Paul said, if we come in and everyone's speaking in heavenly languages and no one's interpreting, no one knows what's going on and no one is edified. But if there's an interpretation, everything changes. 1 Corinthians 14, 27, Paul says, only two or three at most should use this gift in a public setting. That's important. If we allow this gift to move, we have to know, Paul says, there shouldn't be more than three at one time in one service or one gathering. And Paul says this in 1 Corinthians 12, 29 through 30. He says, are all apostles, are all prophets, he's speaking out these public gifts, are all teachers, do all work miracles, do all have gifts of healing, and listen, do all speak in tongues, do all interpret? And the, it's a rhetorical question. Paul was getting us to say, no, not everyone flows in the same public giftings. If we're not careful, people take that and say, well, then, not everyone can have a private prayer language with the Lord. That's not what he's talking about. He's talking about the public gifting where there needs to be an interpretation. You can have a private prayer language with the Lord and not have that public gifting. It's very different. So he's not saying that not everyone can speak in tongues. He's saying that not everyone has the public gift. Are you following me? So it is my personal conviction what we teach here, and I want to show you in the scriptures just a few more minutes. I want to take time in this because there's so much controversy and so much misunderstanding. I actually want to show you that I firmly believe that every person can have a private prayer language with the Lord. And what I mean is this is one of the ways we speak, that we, we speak in tongues, or it may be praying in the Spirit or worshiping in the Spirit. It's this place of prayer. It's a place of deep praise and worship. Randy Clark defined it this way. Tongues as a prayer language is a means by which the Holy Spirit enables a person to praise and thank God, uninhibited by the need to conceptualize or put into words the movement of the heart. In other words, and maybe you have been there or experienced this, but you find yourself at times in this place where you are encountering such a, um, just an awe and adoration of the Lord, and it just feels like you've run out of titles to give him. It feels like there's something more you want to give him, but your mind is almost getting in the way because you're trying to think of it, and yet you can't find the proper words. 
There's something bursting from within you that says, I want to connect with God even deeper, spirit to spirit. And it's at that place where we can enter into praying in the spirit that transcends even the mind and edifies us deeply as we glorify him with the greatest of praises. Does that make sense? And what I love about this is that James says, who can control the tongue? Who can tame the tongue? He says, wild beasts and animals can be tamed, but not man's tongue. Which means when you see people glorifying God by the Spirit in tongues, it is one of the most incredible ways of God's sovereignty over their life. Because all they're doing is speaking out blessings, the deepest of blessings. The scripture says, out of the abundance of a man's heart, he speaks. In other words, what you speak determines what you're filled with. So when you see someone praying and worshiping in tongues, it's not something weird. It means that they're filled with the Spirit of God and just releasing that. If you go and see a chimney smoking, what does that imply? There's a fire burning below. When we're worshiping and singing in spirit, what it's implying is there's a fire that's burning inside with such passion for God that we can't even put it into human words. We have to come against the stuff that says this is demonic. That's crazy. God, it's in his word. It's not even Paul who pens this. I mean, Paul pens it, but it's really not even him who's writing it. It's the Holy Spirit communicating to us. So can all pray in tongues? Paul says in verse 5 of Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 14, he, was, he said, I would like every one of you to speak in tongues. I would like every one of you to speak in tongues. Look at verses 14 through 15 in 1 Corinthians 14. He says this. Listen to Paul. He says, for if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. So what shall I do? I will pray with my spirit, but I will also pray with my understanding. So I will pray in the spirit, but then I can also pray in, well, for us it would be English. I can pray in English and understand. He says, I will sing with my spirit, but I will also sing with my understanding. Paul says, when I pray in a tongue, I pray with the Spirit. In other words, what he's saying is when we speak in tongues or pray in tongues or worship in tongues, it's another way to look at it is that we're singing or praying in the Spirit. Do you see how clear that is? Why is that important? Because everywhere throughout the Scripture, you will see this expression of Paul urging all of the believers to pray and worship in the Spirit, which means he's saying pray and worship in tongues. How many of you love the armor of God? Ephesians 6. How many of you believe that the armor of God is for every single believer? Should every believer put on the armor of God? Okay then. You ready to see what is the full armor of God that we often miss and cut out? Ephesians 6, 17 through 18. Right? We talk about the helmet of salvation. We talk about the breastplate of righteousness to stand firm against the enemy's strategies. Look how he finishes. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Verse 18. And pray in the spirit. On all occasions, with all kinds of prayers and requests, with this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. Literally, part of the Lord's armor is for us to continually pray in the Spirit. If you don't pray in the Spirit, there's, this isn't a, a message of condemnation. We're not trying to create any of that. It's for you. It's to edify you. Why would you want that? You seek your good father. And he'll give it to you. You don't have to earn this by sweat. You surrender and say, Lord, I want to know you, but I want to praise you even more. And in your private time, as you begin to worship the Lord, just by faith, as you feel God moving you, just begin to lean into that. It's for every single person here. Some say, what if I lose complete control? <laughs> I, I don't want to get this. It can get weird. What if I'm in Walmart and the Spirit of God overtakes me? <laughs> And I have to run to the megaphone, and I speak in tongues over the whole store. And then I snap out of this trance. Paul says, if I pray in the Spirit, I will. It's a choice. How many of you with the gift of generosity, some of you have the gift of generosity, right? How many of you have walked by a tide bucket, and the check just jumped out of you? And you said, oh, my goodness, I can't control this gift that I have. No gift works that way. It's always partnership. Why, if this was an uncontrollable thing where we go into some crazy trance and have no idea what's going on in our lives, why would Paul spend three chapters to give instruction? 
if it's the whole thing is, well, whenever it happens, sorry, it's just going to take you over and that's it. No, you can choose to pray in the Spirit. You can choose to stop to pray in the Spirit. Is this helping you guys? I'm just trying to give some really detailed things here. We're almost done, I promise. The last thing I, uh, on this one is people say this, and I was here, but pastor, I genuinely, I see it, I want this, but what if, what if something demonic creeps in? Because aren't there a lot of different religions that have these weird chants and things like that, and it kind of looks similar? It's true that, that there are people that have that. And so for a while, I was resistant because I was fearful that if I went to my good father, that somehow he would allow me to be sidetracked and deceived and re receive something that was hurtful. And I want to share something I never saw before in the scriptures that I think will encourage you if you've had this fear. In Luke chapter 10, Jesus, Jesus called out the 72, sent them out, and then called them back. And when these 72 followers came back, they were amazed because they said, even the demons submit to your name. And he says this. He said, I've given you authority to tread over serpents and scorpions. What he says is I've actually, he's actually giving a picture of demons. He calls them serpents and scorpions. Very next chapter, he talks about receiving the gifts of the Holy Spirit. And look what he says. Listen to this. Luke 11, verse 11, he says, Which of you fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead? We'll give him a serpent. Look at this. Or if he asks for an egg, we'll give him a scorpion. If you then know you are evil, if you who then are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? It's as if Jesus knew that there would be a time in the church where we would say, if you hunger for the gifts, you're going to flow in the demonic. And he says, if you come to me, your good father, I'm not going to give you a serpent or a scorpion. You can trust that I will give you the real thing. And finally, the very last thing in the private is not only is it for personal prayer language, it's for intercession. And this is the last scripture I'll read. Romans 8, 26 through 27. And it says this. Paul says this. In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. Praying in the Spirit. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. Do you know that the Bible teaches us how to pray, but we actually don't know what we're supposed to pray? Do you know that actually none of us know what to pray? Like the Bible gives the general will, but we don't know the specific will because the reality is, is the Bible teaches uh, what marriage looks like, but have you seen the name of your spouse in the Bible? No, the Spirit of God teaches and couples with the Word to lead us into the perfect will of God. And so right here, none of us actually know what to pray. We know how to pray, but we actually don't know what to pray for. And therefore, it is so important to enter into prayer for others through uh, speaking in tongues. Uh, let's see. I'm going to have the worship team come up. Randy Clark was sharing a testimony of this, and he was sharing about his own, his own son. And he said his son, Joshua, three or four years old, struggled deeply with asthma. It went on for 10 years. He'd wake up at 3 in the morning, and he would have these just horrific outbursts of asthma. And so him and his wife would get next to his son, Joshua, and they would just pray. They'd pray for him. And I want you to hear this. It's just so cool to hear this out of a four-year-old. Uh, one night, uh, Dr. Randy Clark was away traveling, so only his wife was home. And sure enough, his son went into another one of these outbursts. And, um, and so she came by his bedside and began to pray. And as she was praying in English, the, the little boy stopped her and said, No, Mommy, pray the other way. And she said, What other way? He says, You know, when you pray and I don't understand what you're saying. <laughs> and, he said, and she said, Why? He says, Because it works better. A four-year-old who has no concept of theology, no bias in any way, but he could experience, he was experiencing something tangibly different when there was one interceding form in the spirit. When Jesus encountered the Holy Spirit and he was baptized, what followed right after? He encountered the spirit and then he was in the wilderness and encountered Satan. 
And I feel like this is really important because this is where I, I just, I ran away for a while from being open to the Lord in many ways, especially this, is that when I f- began to experience God in this way, not only did I meet the Holy Spirit, but I met the devil as well. And he began to speak doubt over what I'd experienced with the Holy Spirit. And so I put it aside and said, this is just done with them. And I want to just encourage you that as you, it's not to put fear, God is greater, but don't be surprised that when you open yourself up and experience the Lord this way, that there's a, a floodgate of doubt to say, is this for real? And I want to encourage you to press in because as you come out to the other side of that, you will have without a shadow of doubt what is yours. You'll be confident that God has given it to you. So I want to pray for us. And then at the end, if you need to leave, that's fine. I'm not going to even have a prayer team right now. But I do just feel this stick around for a little bit. Caesar and just worship together. <laughs> and, um, and so for those of you who'd like to stay around and worship, I encourage you to do that. I, f- I feel it's going to be a real sweet time. Um, if you do leave, I just ask that you please leave quietly because I want to preserve what, what God is about to do here. So let's pray, and then we're going to worship. Yeah. I thank you, Lord. I thank you for your word that is true. I thank you that your word testifies to who you are. And I pray, Lord, God, that you would soften our hearts to see, to see this gift in a new light. Lord, I pray that you would lead us to humble ourselves, even beyond what we can understand. Lord, that we could move in this gifting. Father, I pray for those that have felt less than because they don't walk in this. God, we come against that condemnation. We just declare that is not what this is about. But Lord, it's something glorious that you've made a way for us to connect with you in a way that we can't connect with our own human words. And so I pray, Lord, that even this week, even now as we worship you, Father, you would just release just a prayer language upon your people. Father, that that would just be stirred and be the result of a fire that's burning inside of us, Lord. Teach us how to be prayer warriors in the spirit. Teach us how to be worshipers in the spirit. I pray for the public gifting of tongues to be in here. I pray for interpretation to always be there, Lord. I pray for the tongues as signs for unbelievers, God. May we see the same testimonies we shared in our own lives, oh God. Yeah, Lord, I pray especially this week as people get along with you, that they would just lean into the river. I just feel the Lord is saying, don't don't stay stuck in the river. You have to let it take you. So as you feel the Spirit of God moving, as you worship Him in your own time, let the river take you. Don't be afraid of what it looks like or sounds like. Just trust the Lord. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.